Hello, and welcome everyone to the third edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast for the 2020 college football season. My name's Adam Cole, and I'm joined by our other two Columbia, Missouri, and Mizzou football beat writers, Max Baker and Andy Kimball. And we're coming to you from a pre-recorded podcast on October 1st. Guys, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing great. You know, we got playoff baseball, we got college football, and we got, you know, sports are back. Max, who are you rooting for in the playoffs? I like the Cardinals. I'm a I'm a big Cardinals guy, but you know nothing. You know nothing against the Marlins. Nothing. You know you don't like a good field goal, good story. I don't know who you are. Why are you a Marlins bandwagon fan? I don't. I oh, <laughs> no, I'm leading the bandwagon. You are yeah. truly, but I am a Cardinals fan. Andy, how are you? In terms of postseason baseball, not good. By the time this airs, the Car- the Cubs will probably be knocked out by the Marlins. So I feel good about that, but. Football-wise, we have football. Can't complain. That's all right. I'm just glad I don't have to worry about the Royals in the, in the playoffs ever again. I just, I'll just hold on to 2015, and that'll be it. But, no, yeah, we certainly we have a lot of football going on, obviously. Um, I think since the last time we recorded, the Big Ten's decided that it's going to play football again. Of course, the SEC's heading into week two. And we had a pretty interesting week one across the board for the SEC, which we'll get into in a little bit. But first things first, um, Elijah Drinkwitz made his head coaching debut as Missouri's head coach. Um, And of course, that was against the number two team in the country. I think a program that a lot of people would probably say is one of the best, if not the best in the country in the number two Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, You know, kind of looking at the game as a whole, uh, I I think the outcome was one that a lot of us expected. Uh, End result was a 38 to 19 loss. Um, but you see a lot of a lot of new things to be, I would say, intrigued by um, with the Elijah Drinkwitz offense. Obviously, Sean Robinson, new quarterback. Connor Bazelak also got some time at quarterback. Um, and a second half that really saw this Missouri team maybe redeem itself in some senses. Um, I think they held that Alabama offense to 99 yards uh, in the second half, um, and they outscored them. I think it was 16 to nine uh, was the score in the second half. So you know. Eli Drinkwitz has said they're not taking moral victories because um, at the end of the day, they didn't win. But still, there were certainly some little victories across the board. Uh, what did you guys see that maybe stood out to you the most, intrigued you the most, impressed you the most, whatever else? Yeah, I don't know. I think the biggest takeaway for me was that it's really going to be hard. And it was really hard to evaluate the team's performance and have a lot of takeaways just because Alabama is such a good team and won't be a team like they face the rest of the year. Um but I think on the defensive side of the ball, which isn't really a drink with specialty, but like the two halves were very like polarized in like the team's performance. Like they had all their they had a lot of big plays at the end, they had all their big plays in like the fourth quarter. I mean they had both their sacks against like Alabama's backup quarterback, so it's just hard to really evaluate kind of where they're at, honestly. Yeah, I think we'll get a better sense as to like where they are today too. I mean, you know, today as in Saturday this week. Um, but I think the, the number one thing that I sort of noticed was I thought the offensive line was going to be, um, kind of a disaster against that Alabama front. Um, but honestly, I was, I was reading, um, this morning about Larry Borum and how he was actually ranked in the top 10 for, by PFF in terms of NFL draft prospects that they were impressed by. And they said that he had 46, um, pass blocking snaps and he allowed zero pressures, which was just like, you know, he, he made the list in terms of a top 10 NFL draft prospect, um, weak performance and I, that was just something that I was like really intrigued by because you wouldn't notice it you really didn't I didn't think the offensive line played particularly well but you know I, I guess when you look at things it was Alabama Missouri was running up you know 
got Seek Powell in his first start for, you know, at Mizzou after coming from Juco. Like, I, I, you, it could have been a lot worse. And, you know, they had a little bit of success in the run game. They got the passing game going a little bit in terms of, like, dump-offs to Hazleton and Knox. But I I think overall, like, you saw some signs that, like, could bode well in terms of, like, when they play at teams like Tennessee and South Carolina on in the future. Certainly some interesting points. Andy, kind of to what you saw, I thought what was really interesting was, I think it was literally the first play from scrimmage for the Missouri defense um, Mac Jones, I think, tried to go to Jalen Waddle, um, who was paired up with uh, Ennis Rakestraw, who, of course, the true freshman from Duncanville, Texas. Um, and Rakestraw was just like right in there. And like literally, it felt like tone setting for the drive. Of course, that first drive for the Alabama offense was a three and out. But after that, you know, the rest of the half was really slow. Uh, well, not slow is not the right word. Um, the defense wasn't able to get in there and impact the game the way they did in the first drive. And so I thought it was really interesting that, you know, like they kind of got back to that in the fourth quarter. And so I'm curious to see if they can make that consistent against Tennessee. That was one thing I noticed. And then, you know, with that offensive line, it, it was, it was one of those things where again, kind of like the defense going up against second team Alabama, it was, it wasn't a phenomenal performance necessarily from the offensive line, but considering that it was Alabama, it's, it's something that, I almost think can kind of be contextualized a little bit. Um, I think for me, like the biggest takeaway was probably like, probably the fact that um, the offense kind of relied on a lot of names that we're super familiar with. Um, You know, we actually, we did a midweek story on this and kind of how, you know, Damon Hazleton, Kiki Chisholm, those were the names that got thrown around a lot with this offense. I mean, at one point, I think this summer, uh, Drinkwitz was kind of like, man, I can't believe nobody's asked me about Kiki Chisholm. And he got held to like, I think two catches for, uh, 12, 12 yards, yards yeah. something like that. And granted that's two catches on, I think it was like three targets. So considering how much the ball got to him, it wasn't like he did a bad job with it, but you know, Jalen Knox led the team in receiving yards. Uh, Larry Roundtree led the team in yards rushing. Uh, Dom Jacinto was, I think close behind Knox in terms of receiving yards. Um, Tyler Beatty had a pretty impactful catch on a wheel route. And I think that was the third quarter. Um, but you know, it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of familiar faces that this offense was leaning on. And it was an offense that definitely looked a lot different. Um, a lot of pre-snap motion, um, a lot of use of the receivers in the backfield, which I think will be interesting to see moving forward. But I'm curious to see if they can get those guys, Chisholm and Hazleton, especially really in the mix in this offense in week two. Yeah. I, I also, I think, you know, when you look at the defense, that th- first three and out was huge. Like, I mean, I was not something, I would, you know, you were expecting. And on that first play, I think it was in – or second play against Alabama in 2018. I think uh, it was it was Jerry Judy. I could be wrong, but they threw like a 75-yard slant route that went for a touchdown on like the second play of the game. And like you didn't see that. You saw the Missouri defense step up. But, you know, you just saw how good Alabama's defense was because Missouri got on the field. And I think they went backwards 10 yards. And and the defense came out in, for Mizzou, and I actually thought they had a pretty decent drive in terms of their second drive. Like, they Alabama scored on a third and goal. Um, but, you know, they just wore them down. And, like, it got to that point where Missouri's offense just couldn't stay on the field for very long. And the defense without Jarvis Ware after that first drive and, you know, just being, you know, banged up in terms of the secondary and playing Ish Burdine and Ennis Rakestraw, who, you know, probably will be great corners at you know, one point or another, but they're starting their first game in South Alabama. There was just not a whole lot the Missouri defense and could do with what they had. Yeah, certainly you look at that performance from Jalen Waddle, especially. I think he had triple-digit receiving yards. I think it was a three-touchdown performance for him. Um, you know, I, I think you can really say that that Missouri team kind of got out-talented week one. Uh, there was just so much more talent on the field for that program. 
Um, you know, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see just how different this team looks against uh, the number twenty one team in the country, Tennessee, this weekend in Knoxville. Uh, but kind of before we get into that matchup in particular, looking at the SEC as a whole this past week, uh, there was wow. It just kind of felt like a lot of different uh, headlines. Um, of course, I think the biggest one was probably Mississippi State's performance against LSU. Um, you had other first-year coaches in Lane Kiffin and Sam Pittman, uh, you know, having their inaugural head coaching starts in the SEC. Um, what what were you guys most intrigued by beyond the, the Alabama-Missouri matchup in week one? Yeah, I would just say – the biggest takeaway was just Mississippi State and Mike Leach, obviously. I mean, a lot of the beginning coaches in the SEC struggled. I mean, Sam Pittman had a loss, then Kevin had a loss, but then Mike Leach just really knocked it out of the park against the defending national champs, who, I mean, kind of to put it in perspective, had a mostly overhauled secondary and were without their All-American corner, um, Derek Stingley. But, I mean, they, they it looked like the air looked like Washington State air raid, and it was like just as impactful. Um, so there really was not a big drop-off, and that wasn't what I was expecting, honestly. And, I mean, as an opponent of Missouri play later in the year, I think they're something that Missouri should be a little more scared of than they were previously. Yeah, going off that, I think, like, the four of the four new head coaches, I think he probably took over the most talented team in terms yeah. of, like, coming back. And with K.J. Costello and, you know, the transfer from Stanford and Colin Hill, I mean, like, he had a good offense to take over with. And it'll be interesting to see how they do in the future. I think you're right. That's probably the biggest storyline. Um, but I also think like Texas A&M, like it was, what was it? 17 to 12 against Vanderbilt. I don't, I mean, they they play Alabama this week and I think that might be a sort of a wake up call for them. I think Alabama might blow, you know, blow them out this weekend just because, I mean, I was expecting tennis, Texas A&M with Kellen Mond and his, you know, in another year and just playing Vanderbilt, a team that, you know, has been banged up and just, you know, really struggled in years past. So I, I was kind of the shot, kind of surprising story for me this week was them. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing that I kind of took away was, um, you know, again, kind of like we said about Missouri, you can't, you can't make a lot of assessments after one week against a really good program. Um, and I think aside from Mike Leach and Mississippi state, I, I think you had a lot of, I think all the other new head coaches were very much in a similar boat. Um, you look at the first half of that Arkansas Georgia game, uh, former Missouri head coach, Barry Odom, uh, called a great game defensively. I think it was something like eight to five heading into halftime. There was a five in there. I know that much. Seven to five. Seven to five. Yeah. Seven to five, which anytime you can get a five, that's, that's always exciting. Almost like Cardinals Padres score. I mean, I think it was seven, four last night. Something like that. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, no. So, you know, great first half. Obviously that offense wasn't able to really put it together. I think it ended up being like 27 to 10. And then, if I remember correctly, Ole Miss Florida was competitive early on. I think it fell off very quickly. Florida's offense looked really, really good. That <laughs> yeah. was surprising to me because that's not something they've had in years past. Well, yeah, and so I think one thing that's really interesting is you know you look at this Florida team in the scope of the SEC, and it's like I feel like every year it's like okay, well at least in the Dan Mullen era, it's felt like okay they're they're good. But, like, are they good enough to get over the hump and into that very top tier of the SEC with the Alabamas, the Georgias, and the LSUs? And even, you know, I'll put the Auburns in there, um, you know, but are they able to get there? And it's funny because you look at Kyle Trask, you look at that tight end Pitts. um, I think they really have the roster to kind of piece that together uh, this year. I think if there's any year that they pull that off, it's this one. 
Um, so that'll be interesting to see moving forward. But I was really intrigued by all the head coaching performances. It felt like really hot starts, regardless of maybe how flat they fell. And, you know, whether it's Lane Kiffin, Sam Pittman, Eliah Drinkwitz, or Mike Leach, I, I'm curious to see how they continue to kind of formulate their teams in a, in a season that's going to see tough contest after tough contest. Are you excited for that Kyle to Kyle, Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts to Kyle Allen field in week three? I mean, that's going to be exciting. Oh that's a lot of Kyle. The Kyle connection? Yeah, that's, gonna, that's triple Kyle. That's, I, I, mean. don't, I don't know how I feel about the name Kyle. Well, there's two Kyles, and they're really good, so I kind of like the name Kyle. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But um, kind of looking ahead to this week, uh, two days from now, uh, we've got Missouri um, in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium against number 21, Tennessee. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is in his third year with that program. He's gone from 5-7 and seven to 8-5. and five. He's had two very phenomenal recruiting classes. Um, and, of course, he's got a pretty stacked uh, veteran presence, I would say, on that offense and that defense. Um, offensively, you've got Jarrett's, um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it starts with a G. Um, he's their senior quarterback. And of course he's been there for ages. Um, you've got Ty Murphy. I believe they're running back. Uh, he finished week one, actually third in the sec in rushing yards. Um, and that's kind of a steep jump. Cause I think last year he was either number 15 or number 16 in the league. You've got an offensive line. That's, I would say arguably better than Alabama's. Um, you've got Trey Smith at left guard, who he's bound to be a first round pick or a you know first round NFL draft pick. Um, you've got, I believe, Cade Mays, who's a Georgia transfer, former five star recruit, and then you've got he's eligible, right? This week I believe so. Yeah. I believe he's eligible this week, and then you've got two guys at uh, tackle who are both five stars, um, and then I think that that defense too, if I'm right, is returning eight starters. So you've got a really experienced team. Um, but on the flip side of that Tennessee team, I think you've got a Missouri team with just as much experience. And I think where Tennessee has a lot of very talented, um, experienced guys on the offense, I think Missouri's defense kind of has the same thing. Of course, you know, you've, you've got Nick Bolton, you've got uh, Gillespie and Bledsoe at the safety spots, you've got Kobe Whiteside on the D-line, you've got very notable guys at each position group. Um, and so I'm curious to see how that matchup goes. Um as for the offense, I do think this will be a week that kind of defines what their bread and butter maybe really is. Um, you look at the performance last week, it wasn't like Tennessee ran away with a win against um, you know a South Carolina team that went 4-8 and eight last year. Uh, you've also got a South Carolina team that was starting a new quarterback in Colin Hill, the Colorado State transfer. Um, and he ended up throwing for, I think it was 279 yards. Um, so he ended up having a pretty solid game um, against Tennessee. Uh, and I think that's going to be really interesting for this duo of Sean Robinson and, and Connor Bazelak. You know, I'm curious to see just how much they get done through the air in week two. Um, but kind of looking at it from your guys' perspective, you know, what what are you thinking heading into this matchup? What are you most intrigued by? What do you want to see? I mean, I'm just intrigued that I can't believe they have the lo- nation's longest winning streak. That's like incredible to me. I mean, like, I... I know that's like shouldn't become as a shock as the LSU lost yesterday, but having Tennessee, you know, the team that snuck past Indiana in the bowl game last year with the nation's longest winning streak. I mean, I don't know. That's pretty interesting to me. I mean, that's not obviously a preview or anything. That's just what stuck out to me when I was, you know, learning about their team. But I don't know. These games are always sort of weird. They're weird games. Like every year. I mean, Mizzou went into Tennessee two years ago and beat them 50 to 17. I mean, like, that's not something I think is going to happen this year. I mean, I think Tennessee is much improved. I, Missouri probably won't win this game just because Tennessee's 
got a really, really talented roster, but I think, I think it'll be close. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I had, you know, if we're making predictions yet, but I think Tennessee's just there. The, I think Garantano is his name. Um, uh, he's just, he's been there forever. I mean, he's, he's been really good. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of impressed with them. I think they're kind of a dark horse to win, um, the SEC East if, you know, just cause Pruitt's finally got some of his guys that he's recruited. Yeah. Andy, what do you see? Yeah, I mean, Grantano's kind of been through everything. He's lost the job, he's won the job, he's been benched. But I think most of the things on MU side kind of focused is, like, just their own team. Like, I don't think there's a lot of, like, matchup-wise things to, like, really analyze for them just because it's a new roster, a new staff for Missouri, and they're kind of trying to figure out, like, how good they are. Because, like, this will be a team with a level of talent that Missouri will face a lot. Like, they play Florida and Georgia, who I think are both good teams, but they're a lot closer to Tennessee than they are Alabama, I think. Um, I think you're right. But just because I, th- I really think Alabama is a really talented team this year. Um, but I think, like, the, the biggest thing is looking at how the offensive line and defensive line plays for Missouri. Um, the offensive line, I think you kind of split in two units. You've got center Mike Maddy, who's a transfer from Rutgers, who's had multiple years of starting Power 5 experience. And you have Borum and Cook, who both are both on the right side, who both have started for Missouri in the past. And those three guys you kind of need to be consistent, to have any shot at having a good unit. Then the two guys on the left, you've got um, Xavier Delgado, I left guard, and then I left tackle, you've got Zeke Powell. And those guys are two new players who kind of struggled week one. I think how they perform will really define how like competent the unit is this year. I mean, that's for with new skilled players, you need the offensive line to be competent to have any kind of chance. Um, and so I think those two guys on the left are really the big key, and the two guys are looking for an offense. And then on defense, it's just do they get pressure? Um I know Trey Williams, who they have standing up now instead of um, kind of in like uh, kind of on the ground as like an outside linebacker instead of a defensive end. Um, he's someone who got pressure a couple times um, last week, and I mean, if he's a guy who can continue to get pressure and get pressure throughout the whole game instead of just in the second half, that really kind of overhauls their whole offense and kind of gives them a new dimension. Um, just because they have a young secondary, and I don't know how long they'll be able to defend. Like if plays break down, I'd have less confidence in them than I would in years past just because they're inexperienced. I think Drinkwitz probably goes with, and picks a quarterback, I think, for this game. I mean, he'll probably use Bayes, like for a drive in the second quarter like he did last time, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of that. You know, the, I think they're going to try and sort of figure out their offense with one quarterback this game. I think you're going to see that. I just think in, Al- in an Alabama game, you're sort of getting a feel for both quarterbacks. Um, but I think he's going to pick one in terms of this game. I think with the other one, we'll get a drive. It'll probably be Robinson that starts and plays most of the game, but I don't think he's going to do what he did where he had Bayes, like at the end of the game. I think once... You know, I think I think one of the backup will probably get one drive, and that'll be it. Be my guess. I don't know. I think that's what's going to be a little bit different from last game. I think they need to sort of figure out which quarterback they're going to use in this game. Yeah, I I think with the quarterback situation, one thing to keep in mind is Drinkwitz has talked about how he's valued Gary Pinkle's insight and opinion, and having um, a, a second quarterback get a couple drives in each game is something that Pinkle did in 2013 with, a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly with Locke, and he did that with Chase Daniel too and Brad Smith. Um, so I think like. That's something to look out for, um, as you said. And so it'll be interesting to when they get in competitive spots, will that second quarterback come in for a drive or will he sit him? Yeah. Uh, yeah, with James Franklin and Matty Mock, because Matty Mock took over for a lot of games yeah. um, in 2013. Pinko was a big fan of that. So, I, yeah, he, I think I think you're probably right, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if we had to sit around and give score predictions, uh, predictions of how this game's going to go, what what would you guys say is, is the final score at the end of the game Saturday? I think 31-28, Mizzou gets like a late touchdown and then like doesn't recover the onside kick. So I think Tennessee wins, and it, it, they win by a little bit, but I don't. I think Mizzou sort of makes it close at the end. 
Uh, I'd go 24-17 Tennessee. It's close to closer to last year, right? It was 24-20, I think, was yeah. the final. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think I, I think the offense will have its moments, but I think it will still take some time to really get some consistency, especially going down the field, which is another thing I'd want to look out for. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but with the offensive line, will they allow Robinson and Hazleton and Chisholm to connect down the field? Because I think a lot of the lack of success with outside receivers was game plan based just because you got to throw the ball short because you have enough time to let plays develop. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's nothing to watch for. And I'm not sure if they'll be able to do that. So we'll see. I'd say it wraps up kind of similar score. I'd say 24-21 Tennessee at the end of it all. I think, you know, and I guess more so looking at this Tennessee team, I know you guys think they're – they're kind of in the same vein as like the the Floridas and the Georgias of the SEC. I honestly think they're still, I think they have the potential to get there, um, but I think they're still kind of a tier below. I think a lot of their, you know, that seven game winning streak, their their number twenty one ranking isn't necessarily. I think it's more potential based than anything, and I think, you know, coming off a game where, you know, I mean they they just sweep by South Carolina. You know, I'm sure they will be on their toes without a doubt, but. I think they're going to be kind of up against the ropes until they can really sock it to somebody. And if you ask me, I think, I think Drinkwitz does a really good job of just kind of motivating his guys week in and week out, regardless of who the opponent is to just like keep a chip on their shoulder um, and be extra critical and think about how they can do better. And so I, I think I'm curious to see if that kind of, you know, we really see that permeate through for this tiger team this week. Uh, but yeah, I think it'll be close, but I definitely think Tennessee will come out on top. And with that, uh, we will be heading into our favorite game, our favorite segment of the week. That is mascot melee and folks, we're adding a little something to it for you this week. And you're going to see it every week moving forward. Um, not only are we going to preview, uh, the beat down between mascots of Truman, the tiger and whoever the, the tigers are playing, all three of us are going to pick out our favorite mascot matchup of the weekend. Um, and we'll start with Max on that one. Max, what's your favorite mascot matchup for this weekend? Um, I actually think it's going to be a Friday night thriller, and it's going to be the Campbell Camels against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. You got, you know, a combined record of zero and five. You know, something's got to give. This is like, I mean, if you want to watch something on Friday night, there's the NBA Finals, and then there's going to be the Campbell Camels against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. That's what I'm. You tune in. Which coach is getting carried off the field at the end of that one? Um, if we had to do names, I'm not good with names, um, <laughs> but I would go, I, I think Wake Forest, which mascot, I, which mascot is, I think the Wake the Forest coach as a 34 and a half point, five, 35 point favorite in this game. I would hope it's him. I mean, I, I, I really hope for that coach that it's him getting carried off the field at the end of this game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Andy, what's your matchup? Yeah. So this will be the university of Alabama, Birmingham Blazers versus the Texas San Antonio Roadrunners. And I think. What's intriguing about this ma- mascot matchup is you take two different skill sets. You've got power and strength versus speed and mobility. With kind of the Roadrunners, you've got the speed, and with the Blazers, obviously, you have power with you know fire-breathing capabilities. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing there. Like, will the Roadrunner be able to outrun the fire? You know, will the Roadrunner be able to inflict enough damage? Who knows? But, so I would pick the Blazer, but... I think it's really a toss-up and one I would be excited to see. I think mine for this weekend is the Arkansas State Red Wolves versus the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. And the thing that I really like about this one is, and I almost think this could be a bit of a hot take, but I would consider the Red Wolves a very like classic, clean-cut mascot. Like That's just, that's gnarly. And, it, and it's not as simple as the Wolves. It's, you know, 
it's its own sort of take on a very classic animal, and I love that. And then, of course, you've got the Chanticleers who, you know, for all our uh, diehard Mizzou faithful out there, I'm sure you know, beat uh, KU in week one, really put the beat down on KU in week one. And the Chanticleers, that is one of the weirdest mascots I've ever heard of. Apparently, it's just a very ferocious rooster. Um, I will say, I think the Red Wolves would win in that matchup in a heartbeat just because it's a bird. But... It's still a pretty funny mascot. You can just fly away. Yeah, I was saying, it, but it you're sleeping on. You can. You're I, sleeping yeah. on it's Earth. It's a rooster. Like, what is a wolf gonna do? He can't fly. He can run. Yeah, he can't run up. He's pretty. Uh, well, <laughs> it's a rooster, man. It can't fly that far. Man. Anyways, looking at this week, Truman the Tiger will be going up against Smokey the Hound Dog. Here's a little bit of history about Smokey um, and the usage of Smokey by the volunteers. Um, they actually have both a costumed and live mascot of Smokey. Um, and the current live mascot, his name is Smokey X, um, and he's cared for by Tennessee's Alpha Gamma Rho fraternity chapter. Um, the first live Smokey was actually chosen back in 1953. Um, and what's really funny is the universities actually kept track of the football program's winning record in, accord in accordance with which Smokey is alive at the time. Uh, Blue Smokey uh, was the first live Smokey. He was chosen in 1953, and he only lasted two seasons. Um, he had a 10-10-1 record. Um, currently Smokey X has been around since 2013, and he has a 47-41 and 41 record. Um, and the Smokey with the best... Uh, record of all time uh, was Smokey Three, who lasted from 1964 to 1977. He had a hundred and five, thirty-nine and five record. So, looking at this matchup, we can do a little bit of a breakdown between the costume Truman the Tiger and the costume Smokey the Hound Dog, I think, and then we can look at Truman the Tiger and live Smokey the Hound Dog. But guys, how does this one go down? I think with the mascots, it's a toss-up because they're both like honestly, they're both the same. Like, you got the big head, and then you've got, like, kind of the regular body. So, I think it's a toss-up. I would go with Truman, just because, like, tiger versus dog, you know? But I think when the magic, it gets interesting is when you have the live dog versus the mascot. Because I don't know if any of you guys have ever worn a mascot hat before, but you, like, can't really see, like, down very well. So, if you're looking and running around, like, how is he going to, how is the Truman going to see the dog? Andy, I gotta ask, have you worn a mascot head before? Yeah, not for, like, I've never been a mascot, but, like... Actually, one of my friends at home made, like, Muppets mascot heads. Oh, my gosh. On his own time, and they're incredible. But some of my friends wore them um, to, like, basketball games, and so I got to wear it inside their house. But, yeah, like, you can't look down. Like, it's hard to look at your feet. So if the dog's attacking the legs, like, how are you going to combat that? So, I, so I'd so i go with the dog over the mascot, live dog. Um, I think the live dog, I mean, you got you take into consideration the fact that it's cared for by a fraternity, and you know, like you said, right? Alpha, alpha, alpha gamma row, alpha gamma row. Yeah, I mean, that's like you get experience, you get live experience fighting. Like, <laughs> I mean, like you don't have to, but like, I don't think Truman has like got anybody he can practice against. If it was like, I bet he just goes home for the night and like probably sleeps alone. Like, I don't know anything about Truman where he goes, but you also have to remember we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I. I know the pandemic has really affected Greek life in a you know negative way. So I don't know if he's had that sort of experience being around human interaction the last few weeks. So I kind of like Truman the Tiger really? right now because I don't – I mean, if the fraternity right now I, – I don't know that they disclose their numbers. And I – you know, Tennessee, if, you, if your fraternity has been COVID-free for, you know, the last few months, you know what? I apologize. But I just – I don't like the odds of, you know – if, if, if it's being taken care of in a place where, you know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my thinking. Room of the Tiger by four. 
Trim the tire by for what? I don't know. By by for something. How, how <laughs> like what what round is is Smokey going down? At? Ten rounds. Uh, yeah, if it's a ten round fight, we'll say four. I'll say four I, I knew what wow. I was saying. There four. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I think when you look at the two mascots, uh, you know, Andy, I kind of agree with you. I think they're pretty much the same. Again, I'm gonna turn to the build of these costumes themselves. Smokey isn't Smokey isn't built like Big Al. He's not clunky. He's not one of those guys who can throw his body around like the Philly Fanatic. But it's still definitely kind of a loose costume. It's not one that's like muscular and tight to the skin. Whereas again, Truman may not be muscular, but like I'm telling you, that outfit is like darn near skin tight. You got to be able to move in that thing. It's got to be aerodynamic. I am taking him against the mascot Smokey in a heartbeat. And again. Kind of with you guys, I'm I'm in agreement. I think it gets interesting when you throw the live dog in. When Smokey X gets in the ring with Truman the Tiger, um, you know, Andy, I think I'm kind of in your boat again too. Uh, you know, it's it's a live dog. They're fast. Um, you know, they're quick. And if you can't look down and see where the dog is, you're screwed. You're royally screwed. So you know, I'm taking uh, I'm taking the mascot Truman in uh, round one with mascot Smokey. But I tell you what, when Smokey X gets in the ring, I think it's over for Truman. I really do. I really do. And uh, I think that pretty much does it for the third installment of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast. Um, Again, I am your host, Adam Cole, joined by our other two beat writers, Max Baker and Andy Kimball. Um, If you want, you can follow us on Twitter at at Cole Reporter, at Max Baker underscore 15, and at by Andy Kimball. And if you want to check out any of our coverage of the 2020 Missouri football program, um, head to Twitter at Como Sports or www.columbiamissourian.com slash sports. 